Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, my name is Cheryl Lavornia. I'm one of the pastors here. And this summer, we've actually uh, taken time to do uh, this preaching cohort. So time to time, you're going to see some different faces up here. Next week, we'll see uh, our normal, everyday uh, preacher is uh, Pastor Van. But then the week after that, we'll have another cohort person. So continue to press forward this summer to see what we have in store for you. Um, it sort of goes along with one of the phrases I absolutely hate is expect the unexpected. I mean, if you're expecting the unexpected, then shouldn't it be expected? It just seems like uh, whatever. I actually think the phrase should be just expect a plot twist because that's what comes. I mean, the weatherman says it's going to be a great day. <laughs> yeah, right. Expe expect the plot twist. I also hate plot twists. I mean, every time there's a plot twist to a book or to a movie, I spend like hours, no, actually days, like trying to relive the whole thing, going, how did they get from there to there? Or I hated that ending, and I try to re like remake it in my head, or I, somehow I try to replay it over and over again so I can just fix it. Um, but I can't, because the book is already in print, or the movie is something I'm already watching. I can't change a thing about it. It is what it is. And that's just another slogan I absolutely hate. Um, but plot twists are changes in direction, right? And they're usually unforeseen or unexpected. Now, we all know that there's bad plot twists, right? There are moments when uh, my husband and I uh, begin to watch a movie, and five minutes in, I'm like, oh, he did it. He's like, oh, you ruined it for me. And I'm like, no, it's just a bad plot twist, right? But then there are some really good plot twists that have been developed over this, like, slowly telling the story. They're so part of the story that you actually don't expect what's going to happen, but there's some foreshadowing that should have given you some clues. Now, I think the best plot twist ever is when Darth Vader, you know, the bad, bad guy of Star Wars, is having this major epic battle with his lightsaber, with his arch nemesis. The hero of the story is Luke, right? And they're just going at it and everything. And Darth reveals, Luke, I am your father. And everybody's like, whoa, wait a minute. That is so part of the story. But yeah, it's so unexpected, but really, if you've been following along, you probably got some hints along the way. Today, we are going to dive into another epic plot twist from Everyday Stories with Jesus. It's a story in the Bible that is found in all four of the Gospels, and while it's told slightly differently, when you put it together, it's a story that reveals a major plot twist. So would you all stand with me as I read the scripture this morning? Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Now, while Jesus was at Bethany, one of the Pharisees, Simon the leper, asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city, who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears, 
and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman that is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Father, you know this story. You know how you intended this story to continue to go on and on and be told, to shape your church to shape your people. You also know our stories and your desire for us to to help shape your church and shape your kingdom. May this story today shape each one of us in a way that we experience your unexpected touch, your unexpected voice, your unexpected love, grace, and peace. We pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Do you know what it's called when you can't see what's right in front of you? They actually have a name for it, not just you can't see what you can't see, but it's called scutomus, right? It's scutomus or scutomus, and it's really a change blindness. The New York Times actually defines this as the frequent inability of our visual system to detect alterations to something staring us straight in the face, because we all actually come to our everyday with certain beliefs. Like, you believe that someone in your house will probably move your keys so you don't see them on the counter when they're staring you right in the face, because you assume that someone puts things away all the time and tidies up or puts them in a special place so you don't see them. Or you come down the stairs and you go through your hallway and you trip on those shoes that you never expected to be in the hallway because shoes don't belong in a hallway, and yet there they are. So you trip and you fall, right? It's because our beliefs are so powerful, they limit what we see or we can't see. They filter our perceptions, and lots of times they give us exactly what we expect, But when we suspend our disbelief, like in order to to actually see new possibilities, we have to actually suspend this belief. That's why stories with plot twists are actually helpful to see new possibilities. So today, I want us to see, I want you to see what's right in front of you, a plot twist that brings the unexpected. Now, when we use all four of the Gospels together, Um, we see that there's this unnamed woman who's actually really not a no one. But we sort of glance over that because she's unnamed. In fact, she's actually someone we're pretty familiar with from previous stories with Jesus. From John we read, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose Lazarus was now, his brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured 
perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, just to refresh your memory, Mary, this Mary, is the one who sat at Jesus' feet, uh, trying to learn from him, trying to follow him, because when you found a master or a great teacher, the idea was for you to sit at his feet so you could become like him. So here's Mary who sits at Jesus' feet to try to become his disciple, to become like him. Meanwhile, her sister was in the background complaining because she wasn't serving like Martha was serving. Now, this Mary is the one that was told by Jesus in that circumstance that this was commendable. This was actually, she had chosen the best thing. Now, Mary also got mad at Jesus for not coming to save her brother, even though they had sent word beforehand and they said, you know, Lazarus is dying, but then he died and Mary got really mad at Jesus. But then Mary witnessed Lazarus, her brother's resurrection, when Jesus did finally show up and call him from, from the grave. But we also now learn from this other, the other Gospels that this woman, this unnamed woman, Mary, was a sinner. Now, we're not told what kind of sinner she was, but over the centuries, it's sort of been inferred that she was possibly a prostitute. Uh, But there are lots of ways that Mary could have been a sinner. In fact, most scholars, in the way that they define sinner, they they say it's connected to the word tax collector, Gentile, or debtor. But when we have change blindness, right, sometimes it's hard for us. We read our own context into a story, but we really don't know. It never says The text never says what kind of sinner she was. But when we put this all together, we discover something. It's a setup for an unexpected plot twist. Now, for example, when we, scientists have actually done a lot of studies around this. And um, they say the the way that you tell a story, um, we actually, you get the expected response. You frame a story in a way that the audience feels expected emotions, you can expect their response. So for example, if you turn on the TV and there's a wildlife program, right? And they show you this whole uh, like plane of antelope and the narrator begins, oh, it's baby season. Look at all those wonderful little antelopes and they're just hopping around and it's so cute and everything. And they say, you know, this is a dangerous time for the mothers because they have to be on alert all of the time because of those nasty lionesses who may be stalking in the grass. Camera pans, there's a lioness in the grass waiting to pounce. What are you doing as an audience? Oh, you're biting, you know, you're all like, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. Now you change the channel, another wildlife program comes on. Now you see these roly-poly, cuddly, sort of furry lion cubs and they're crawling all over their mom, and they're having a great time. And the narrator says, oh, this is a really bad year for lions. There's been a famine. There's been a drought. You know, these lioness, this lioness may not be able to keep her cubs alive if she doesn't, you know, find food. Camera pans. There's a lioness in the grass waiting to pounce. He, she pounces, she runs, and she misses the antelope, the baby antelope. And you say, no, 
right? I don't want those lion little cubs to die. But, you, you know, so we actually can get set up by the way a story is told. So in order for us to see a plot twist, we need to make sure we think about three elements. First of all, plot twists come out of the story. They're so written in the story that we don't even notice. Like, you know, you're talking about lions. You can't switch into something else. Um, but there's always this unexpected element. You know, the camera pans or they focus on somebody different. There's something that sort of surprises us. But there's always some sort of foreshadowing, meaning all along they've been sort of dropping hints along the way that this is going to happen. So out of our story, we see these same three elements. There's this unnamed woman. Now, she's an unnamed woman whose story comes out of other accounts um, because we already have this history. When you put it together, you realize this is one story of one woman who is all together in this whole thing. So we sort of can get that story. So when you think about Mary and sitting at Jesus' feet and Mary with Lazarus and Martha, you have this picture But then when you join her with this unnamed woman called a sinner, that it's a broader picture, right? But when we're told she's a sinner, we're sort of surprised. We're shocked because this little old Mary, the one that said, that doesn't make sense. But in some ways, it's a weird like double plot twist because we're surprised that this good little woman could be the sinner. But then we're surprised when there's this plot twist that Jesus throws down at the end because there's always some foreshadowing. No one expected Mary to amount to much of anything. Sure, it's a great story of a woman who can follow Jesus or become a disciple, and most of the time, that's how that story is used. But I don't think that's the plot twist to this story. No, the plot twist to the story is to see this unnamed and later identified woman who went from sinner into something very unexpected. And the plot twist is found right there in the story. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. See, Simon expected Jesus to be the prophet, and he was, obviously, because he read Simon's mind because Simon didn't verbalize that question, yet Jesus goes on to answer that question for Simon. But the plot twist really is someone else there is also a prophet. See, it's just a few days later in in the scheme of the story that Jesus and his disciples are sitting down eating a last meal. We call it the Last Supper. After they had celebrated Passover, Jesus took off his robe and he began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, one of his disciples, Peter, rebuked him because a master or Lord or great teacher should never be getting in that position to wash his his disciples, his, his people's feet, right? But Jesus says, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I had set an example that you also should do what I have done. Plot twist. Mary does 
to Jesus before Jesus does it to anybody else. She, in fact, becomes this prophet because she goes before Jesus and sees what's coming. She's the one that does before Jesus ever thought to do. Now, I don't think that's true, but we know that somehow she is standing there and saying, I think this is a great thing. She had become so much like Jesus. She had been following him. She had been walking after his ways that for her, this was a natural progression to do the things to serve him in such a way that, that this was obvious. Now, remember, this is the same Mary who got complained against that she didn't know how to serve. In fact, being a prophet for her was learning to serve in her way. And her way is to anoint his feet for the burial that he had been telling and nobody wanted to think about or believe. It's as though in this story, it's really telling us who the first follower of Jesus was. Because the first follower of Jesus is the one who does what Jesus does before he does it. Because they've so, become so integrated with Jesus' teaching, so integrated with who Jesus is, that they are going before and acting like him as much as she could, as much as she known she did this. Now, some of you might be really surprised at that statement. It might come as a bit unexpected. And yes, because we mostly read that Jesus had lots of followers, right? He had disciples who went after and did the things that Jesus did. But most of the time, what we see up until this point is that his followers just joined in with him. They, you know, he healed and, and he showed them how, or he fed people and he showed them how. And they, they were part of it. They part of, did part of things. But, and he sent them out to begin to preach and to heal, but it's usually because he had shown them. But it was Mary who acted like Jesus before Jesus could. And with this act of anointing, we get the unexpected. Now, we'll never know how Jesus transformed this woman. We are never told that background story. We are told the beginning and the end. We are never seen how she goes from sinner to prophet. But maybe that's the point. Maybe that's why she's sort of unnamed in, in some of the gospels. Because I think what it's really saying is that Jesus is the real plot twist. Because he's the one who takes what's unexpected in our lives and turns it into a glorious transformation, turns it into something that's totally unexpected, what we would expect, what anybody else would expect. Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father you can ask anything in my name and I will do it so that the son can bring glory to the father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So this morning, I want you to ask this question. What's your plot twist? What's your plot twist going to be? Where is Jesus wanting you to experience his plot twist in your life? Now, I think many of us get uh, very frustrated because uh, from an, maybe an early age or, um, you know, on that you got a nickname and then forever now you go back to your family and they sort of think of you as the bratty one or, 
You know, whatever they think of you, you sort of get stuck with that name. Or maybe you've done something in your life and people sort of say, you know, that one. And they refer to you based on your behavior or a sin or some characteristic. And it's really hard to get out of that. Um, So you're identified in that way. Um, That's hard to work through. But some of us also see that our plot twists, the way that we've interpreted them, haven't seemed to come out as good plot twists. They always seem as bad plot twists. Um, And I know some of you are probably thinking, there's no way that Jesus can take the unexpected in my life and uh, turn it into anything good. And so you're stuck in that place. And for some of you, really, honestly, the word sinner is so uncomfortable. It carries with a lot lot of baggage, but it's, it's hard because that's how you've always seen yourself as a sinner. But I promise you that, that the Jesus that we see in this story is the same today as he was in this story. He is so invested in us, so committed to us, so wanting to love us right where we are, that he wants to enter into our stories to forgive, to redeem, to resurrect, to extend that invitation to walk with him through the unexpected into some glorious transformation. I have to promise you that this is the, this, this is the Jesus that we see. We have to have that hope and walk into it knowing that Jesus wants us to see the good plots in our lives. So first, nothing in your story is unexpected by God. Nothing in your story is unexpected by God. But you are not your past. Um, God saw how your past got put together, right? Maybe based on your own choices or some other person's choices, the way you grew up, where you grew up. Jesus saw that whole thing. So it's not unexpected. But I need to say this too. God never allows like nasty things in our lives, evil stuff that happened to us to happen so he can teach us a lesson. That is not true. And we have to make sure we really keep that out of our sort of our thought process that God doesn't allow evil to happen so he can teach us something. No, in fact, evil happens because we still live in a fallen world. And while there's nothing in your story that's unexpected to God, He doesn't want you to get stuck in that same place, right? He wants to redeem every part of your story. Now, if you don't believe me, all you have to do is crack open your Bible and begin to read of the thousands of people that we see and read in the stories that actually sort of start as, eh, kind of person, right? Totally unexpected. Nobody expects anything. And they become a prophet or somebody who's totally like, eh, he's of a jerk. And he becomes like a warrior or or a king or a leader or a servant in such a way that, you know, it's unbelievable. You know, we know of a guy that, you know, said, I'm going to run from God and ends up being swallowed by a fish, but yet ends up in a, you know, a town and actually converts everybody to follow God. So God can use every part of our story. But at the same time, sometimes I think we really need to agree with God that we are sinners. And when we start in that place where we're sinners, we go into the next thing that says we understand that we have sinned against God. 
We are, that, that's part of who we are. But we don't have to be stuck in a pattern of sin because we can expect God to break free, break those chains that bind us, break the stuff that has been in our lives and free us from that bondage. Scripture tells us and promises us that. Now, some of you may be thinking, ah, it's really hard to forget that sin. It's hard to walk through life and not be haunted by your past. I get it. But Scripture also promises that when we are forgiven, our sins are as far as from the east as from the west. And sometimes it's just going back to that scripture time and time again, reminding ourselves and reminding everybody else as our sins are as far as from the east to the west. Maybe somebody has sinned against you. Again, we don't know why Mary was called a sinner. In that time, in that culture, it's very possible that somebody did something against her. We are promised that Jesus bears our sorrow and our grief. He himself bears our sorrow and our grief. Expect Jesus to come to you this morning. So there's nothing unexpected in your story that he won't touch. Second, in our walk with Jesus, we should expect the unexpected. Each day we should wake up and expect that God is going to do something in our lives that's unexpected. Maybe you're headed towards work and it seems like it's going to be an abysmal day. Expect God to do something that's unexpected, to redeem it, to walk through it, to help it, to, to heal it. Whatever it is, expect that. When we pray, we should expect that we're going to hear from God. When we read or listen to his word, we should expect that we will get insight and wisdom and discernment from reading and listening and paying attention to what he's saying. And when we go to God for healing, we should expect it. Now, this is one of our, the biggest, you know, blind change things we have that scutomas is that we come to God and we say, well, okay, well, we're going to ask for forgiveness. We're going to ask for healing. We're going to ask for this. And we're like, but we don't, do we really expect it? Do we really expect it? We should. We should expect that God will answer. Now, it's not always our answer the way that he answers it, but he will always engage and answer. So nothing's unexpected with God in your story. Expect the unexpected. So don't be surprised when the unexpected is used by God to transform your story or someone else's story. So I want you to ask, where in your life has there been some foreshadowing? Maybe you've gone through something very difficult. You have had a loss. You've had a trauma. Expect that somehow God will redeem that story in you and help work it through for somebody else. Maybe you have some education or some talent or some gifting or you've been able to, you know, fly planes or whatever you've done in the past, maybe what you're doing now. God can enter into the, all those things and use it in a way that he can transform others and your own story. I mean, you look at uh, Paige, our new intern, right? By chance, she had to do a senior project. And so she contacted Stephen, our youth pastor, and said, hey, can I just work with you and watch you and see what you do? And so she did that for a semester, and boop, there she is 
we knew right away that she had some gifting and some calling into ministry. So now she is serving as our summer intern. That's how God uses things in your life, right? He, he sort of plants them somewhere back in your story, and then he starts to pull them together. So now, now not all of us will become prophets or all of us will become kings or whatever. It doesn't matter. One gifting is not bigger than the other. Lots of you have seen in this last year um, ways in which God has taken something that maybe you've been passionate about, something you've you love or some way you are really gifted and it's been called out and we've seen some major changes in people's lives because of it. So when we know nothing is unexpected by God, that we should expect the unexpected with God and see the unexpected become a transformation for our stories and for others, then I believe God will say this to us. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, What we have done will be told in remembrance of us for God's glory. Amen.